Hello and welcome to A Real Professional, the podcast where real professionals have really professional conversations about the gaming industry. I'm DreadXP Rock on Tour, Jan Solstrom. Today joined, as always, by Ted Hinchke. Say hi, Ted. Hello, everyone. Also joined by Abby Smith, a.k.a. Scruncho. Say hi, Abby. Hello, guys. Also joined by a man that definitely needs introduction, it is Harris Foster. Say hi, Harris. Hi, Harris. <laughs> All right. So the whole crew's here today. I think it's going to be pretty good. So DJ, drop that sick beat. Okay, it's a new week. It's been a couple weeks since we had a podcast. Who is ready for their gamer safety update? I've been feeling so unsafe for the past few weeks, so definitely lay it on me. I've been looking over my shoulder and at my chair. I'm so ready. Yeah, it's it, it's been a hard couple weeks. In a world where office chairs explode underneath you and your lung collapses from sitting wrong, it's time to add another fear to your list. I'm going to read you this headline, and I want your knee-jerk reactions, and then we'll go into details. Gamer breaks neck while wearing virtual reality headset. I believe it, 100%. Yeah, they're, they're kind of heavy, like, for, for a neck, you know? Like, your head's not meant to hold a lot of shit on top of it. I would guess most, for most people, putting on a VR headset carries with it Maybe a 0.1% mortality chance, but for gamers, that at least goes up to a 1%. So People do incredibly stupid things to get more immersion. I've seen TikTok videos of like harnesses suspended from the ceiling that allow people to like hover just an inch above the ground to get like walking simulation going. So yeah, this is easy. Yeah, I bet breaking a neck is one of the lighter things, of, lighter injuries you could have as a VR gamer. So I, I want your theories. How... I kind of, I know, uh, Abby, you said heavy things on your head, breaking your neck. I don't think any of you can guess how this actually happened. Were they doing yoga? Oh, was it a porn game? Let me like, guess. Trying to get a good angle? Yeah, I'm going to guess that they uh, they were playing uh, Resident Evil 4 VR and, uh, you know, with the full with the full grabbing the rifle over your shoulder, that kind of inventory setup. And they were so immersed that they didn't notice that their long-lost rival snuck up behind them and whispered into their ear that this is vengeance for years ago, slaying their father in that duel, and then snapped their neck, like ninja <laughs> style. It's weird that Ted got it exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was there. I was going to go a similar route, but with, uh, it, you know, it's, it's someone new getting shown how to use VR and their friend is trying to direct their head. I do this all the time when I'm showing someone VR and they just directed it a little too hard and bada bing, bada boom, they're on the floor. Yeah. Just be like, just be like, Oh, uh, you know, you're going to want to be able to look over here and you take their head and turn slightly left, but that's when the training kicks in the Manchurian candidate in you. is like, <laughs> you can't help it. You're like, Oh, these hands that's the sleeper agent has activated. Yeah. You had sworn you'd never touch someone's head again because your instincts and you thought you were ready, but you were distracted for just that moment led you to snapping a neck. 
That's it. Okay. So a German gamer has broken his neck while wearing a virtual reality headset after he moved too intensely. The man went to the hospital after experiencing a piercing pain in his shoulders. X-ray scans later revealed the man had fractured his C7 neck vertebrae, which sits near the base of the neck above the shoulders. Experts from the University of Leipzig Hospital who treated the gamer believed it was the world's first documented VR-related stress fracture. Researchers say the unidentified man's injury resembled one seen in professional runners and soldiers. So, this does not sound like a professional runner or a soldier. <laughs> Ironically, the two ways you can get this is by being super cool or not at all cool. I like that everything old is new again. Uh, Dr. David Bauer, an orthopedics and trauma specialist, said it resembled most closely Clay Shoveler's Fracture. Clay Shoveler's Fracture is named after injuries recorded in clay miners in Australia in the 1940s. Huh. I thought it was after professional neck snapper Clay Shoveler. <laughs> that's somebody, that's, that's a different no, 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 thing. No, pro wrestler, pro wrestler named <laughs> yeah. Snapper. For a signature move, the head ripoff. Coming yeah. up next, it's Clay Shoveler, Clay the Neck Snapper Shoveler. That's so good. By God, he's on the top ropes. <laughs> uh, so, okay, what is technically the gamer safety update, though? Like, how would you avoid such a... Don't spin your head around in circles so, so hard it breaks. So, Clay Shoveler, Clay Shoveler's disease, Clay Shoveler's shoulder is caused by the re- repetitive motion of putting a shovel in the ground and slinging it over your shoulder as if you were shoveling clay. So maybe avoid shoveling motions while playing VR. Okay, this this is, you know, this is a good place to ask this because you guys are familiar with the gross and the bodily horror. I've I've had this phenomenon happen and I've never been able to talk to someone about it because it's like not polite. But like, have you ever turned your head so fast that you feel something in like the back of your skull like pop and then it gets really warm for a second? Or is that just me? No, no, no. Yeah, I, I've, I've had that happen. Like, yeah, yeah. I, What's the deal with that? Not at all where like I thought this was going. Um, but yeah, it's just as disturbing, I suppose. I, I wondered what that is, too. It's, it's not a fun feeling. Yeah, no, it's like you're going to die when it Most happens. popping in your body is fluid exchange. What you're actually hearing is like fluid being moved between the joints and stuff. Mm. I'm, I'm like going squirting. to uh, to kind of not agree with Ted here. That <laughs> that clacking noise that you hear is death moving the little tiny thing on the abacus over one. It's mm. over, well, yeah. Whenever you run out of those on death's abacus, you just, you die. Instantly. Every time you double take at a pretty lady, death is like, mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm. it's or that it's that, Gil- it's that gillette commercial like you turn your head too fast and death like pushes you on the chest like don't don't <laughs> so yeah, th- exactly so that's your gamer safety update you know a guy broke his neck from shoveling vr clay too hard i don't know if there is a clay shoveling vr game yeah I- i'm trying to figure out like what game that would actually be because i mean i guess like you because you pick up a lot of guns than vr like on your just like your waistband where you have to like grab it and then, like, maybe you can pick up things off the ground. Could it could it happen from, like, quickly picking something up and then, like, reloading a gun and, like, trying to shoot someone, maybe? I, I think Ted, all, I thought a second ago Ted almost had it whenever he was like, oh, in Resident Evil VR, you reach on your back to get the gun. I feel mm-hmm. like it's yeah. that yeah, motion too many that. times. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Common too. Or he, or he was an embarrassing variety streamer that was playing Shovel Knight with a gimmick. 
which would be Ooh. even sadder. And just wearing a VR headset. Shovel Knight VR with a shovel? I can see the YouTube thumbnails. He's got like 70 views on his videos, you know? <laughs> and he's trying like increasingly embarrassing gimmicks to try to get children to watch him play. But he's 35. Kids don't care about someone over the age of 20. And he's trying his hardest. His hair is pink. His nails are bright green. He's got the shovel. He's got the VR headset. I mean, he's got his cat walking into the shot when he's doing this. And it's it's just a whole massive embarrassing and he is just a hundred he's got he's got a little song he sings every time someone subscribes so he's 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 like he's like waffling between like trying to play shovel knight with a shovel he's got to shovel each time he jumps or something like that and doing his little he's got to do like a like a cotton eye joe little dance every time someone subscribes and you know he's got like you know at least he's got like a hundred subscribers right like he's doing like not great but you know he's got his hundred and they will subscribe every month and that is that is three times a day that he has to do his Cotton Eye Joe dance. And you can see it in his eyes that he's he's done. But his legs keep moving or else his mouth doesn't get to do the eating. So this is where we're at. You know, I, yeah, just, I, think- I just want to point out real quick that Ted only knows this in such detail because like a few years ago, this was Ted, right? Like this the pink is just getting out of his hair. Like it, in, if the sun hits it the right way, you can still kind of see it. But How like, did you overcome Ted- Clay Shoveler's uh, disease? How did I ever yeah. come to play shovels? Yeah. Uh, I don't. My pain is constant and sharp, and I don't hope oh. for a better world for anyone. And, and, and when he goes to sleep at night, in the distance, he still hears faint cries of Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> Ready to go? Ready to go? The haunting, the haunting ghostly wails of Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> I have to kind of point counterpoint with you here. Counterpoint. Uh, it states pretty clearly in the article that the gentleman was German, which means he was doing none of that. He was very dour. He's like, okay, yeah. today we're starting up Clay Shoveler Simulator 2021. Yeah. I was going to say, he might have just been playing German Clay Shoveler Simulator 2021. Like, in, in Germany, it's Bratwurst Leg Dave is what they dance to. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you for the five gift subs. I will now sing the gift sub song. Oh, gift sub. Keep our country strong. Like, it's just all very <laughs> sad. Does the economy of Germany rely on Twitch gift subs? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually, it's the it's Prime Angela Minister. Merkel's yeah, new, it's Angela new Merkel. Plan, yeah. hmm. Oh, thanks for the gift sub. I can keep the country running for another three days. <laughs> so Shout out to Big Dick Dave for another 12-month <laughs> sub. Okay. You are now prime minister. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm not opening any more unsupported links. The last one was just something called meat spin. I don't like it. <laughs> How much longer do I have to stay in this hot tub? <laughs> <laughs> Angela Merkel hot tub streams. That sounds fun. Oh, thank you for the 10 gift subs. That means I have to write your name on my body and then put on a different bikini. Backing up just a little bit, I... I, my partner did not know what Cotton Eye Joe was, and like, how do you explain that to someone? I that's fucked up, <laughs> right? It's like, oh well, it's an electronic country dance song that is sung by the biggest idiot ever, and he's just telling you about a guy. It, it's who, like he, nothing. Has else. he never been around a drunk thirty-year-old white woman? Yeah, no, like, I, yeah, I mean, she, she, it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, she, she's like three years younger than me. She doesn't remember 9-11. So, uh, so many things are brand new that you expect a person to know. Um, Not remembering 9-11, it's a suspicious <laughs> gap in memory. It's <laughs> like, where were yeah, you on 9-11 I'm, then? I'm 27, she's 24, and that's just like, 
the the break in the human experience of knowing what 9-11 was like. So. I mean, you're 24. Do you know what 9-11 yeah, is? Um, we, well, yeah. And just so you know, we used to like play Cotton Eye Joe when I was a kid all the time. Like it was like the thing the school played. So yeah. I was very familiar with Cotton Eye Joe at a very young age. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's because my girlfriend went to like super Christian Oh schools. yeah, you would not you sense, would not yeah. get caught hearing Cotton Eye Joe at that mm, uh, mm, yeah, Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, I don't know. It sounds it sounds it sounds inoffensive enough that you'd probably hear it at like Bible camp or something. I bet you if she heard it, she'd be like, Oh, that song. I'm just Well the music video it. has ladies half naked, so like that that uh. just won't fly there, right? Like it won't do that. Wait, there's a music video for Cotton Eye Joe? That Hell yeah. It, it's oh, every, yeah. Pretty, it's, yeah, it's exactly how you expect it to be. Cotton Eye <laughs> Joe gets laid? Jesus Christ, I didn't know that. Where did he come from? The deep, you know? the so deep where lore. Where did he go? Ted, Ted, like, smashes through, like, a, a black site, like, gets to the hidden room, opens the briefcase on the table, and it just says Cotton Eye Joe fucks, and he just looks terrified. No. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Uh, so Harris, you're from Texas. I'm in. Yeehaw. I'm in Oklahoma. So yep. I have what's called the Jans Holstrom Early Cotton Eye Joe Detection System. <laughs> um, and if you want to explain Cotton Eye Joe to someone, there's a simple like it's almost like a trigger phrase for a Manchurian Candidate type thing to bring it back to that. If someone hasn't heard Cotton Eye Joe, you just tell them to close their eyes. I, I need you all to close your eyes right now. We're going to do this together. Close your eyes. Imagine. A field. There's an old ramshackle barn near there. There's a guy who has like three teeth combined. He cracks open a Coors Light. He takes one drink of it. And then he cocks a shotgun. If you don't hear Cotton Eye Joe in your head instinctually, you're in danger. That's how you tell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But but this guy likes to party also. Yeah, that's that's the, the Coors and the shotgun. That's a party. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm really feeling like the straw hat digging into my scalp too. Like when I do this he, exercise, Yans. He does big old leg kicks with his squatty. He goes mm-hmm. squatty and he does big old country leg kicks. Yeah, I'm feeling it in my hips as well. This is a good activity. Thank you, Yans. I hope all the listeners at home too did this. Thank you for coming to our weekly Cotton Eye Joe discussion podcast mm-hmm. where we talk about all things Cotton Eye Joe. Quick postscript Country girls make do. I don't know why that's so funny to me, but yes. I hope you're all familiar with that. No. Is the man in this scenario that I just closed my eyes to imagine, is he Cotton Eye Joe? Uh, Yes, he is Cotton Eye Joe from the music video. Okay. All my questions answered. We're over here theory crafting Cotton Eye Joe. So we've found out, is Cotton Eye Joe an SCP? Let's let's call Trevor and get him to to just sketch up a Cotton Eye Joe. Oh shit, yeah. We had Trevor Henderson on uh, Slimy Swamp Ghost. Let me let me let me message him. Yeah, shoot him a DM and be like, "Hey, can can you draw a scary Cotton Eye Joe for us?" And I'll use it for everything. I cannot wait to see that. Trevor, I'll fucking pay him. I don't care. I'll commission him and be like, "Draw me spooky Cotton Eye Joe." Can you settle? A creative, fun little argument we are having. What would a spooky cotton-eyed Joe look like? Uh, make sure to parentheses cotton-eyed Joe the person. Because <laughs> <laughs> he might just draw a bunch of ghosts dancing the cotton no, See, I want to see what he does with it. Okay, this, this is, is much more Pictionary. I like yeah. it. I'm going like to it. put out a call to the listeners because Ted usually does this to me, and now I'm going to do it to myself. If you can draw a spooky cotton-eyed Joe, 
please DM that to me. Hit me up on Discord. Hit me up on Twitter. You can find me at Horrorplayed. You know my thing. Or the Dread XP Twitter. I don't care. Yeah, come come to my house, tack it on my door like a warning from the Pope or something. <laughs> and just <laughs> cotton eye Joe. Threatened by the Pope? Yeah, the Pope shows up like I don't know if it's the Pope. It's like this dude. He's got like a big cross and he's he's dressed like the Pope. But he just kind of shows up and stands around in my yard and it's like it's alright. I give him Gatorade whenever it's hot outside. Uh, no, we, we've created a great WWE roster so far tonight. We've got Clay Shoveler, uh, the real Cotton Eye Joe, and now Evil Pope. It's, is there a showcase going on right now or something? Because people oh, were talking Nintendo about, like, Direct. about Chrono Cross. Yeah, we were talking uh, about Nintendo Direct is happening right now. Oh yeah, yeah. is actively boring things, and we're missing it. Uh, um, I mean, I gotta, I gotta. I gotta figure out how to get all of our games on the Switch. Well, not all of them. We can't do the collections on the Switch because I don't know, Harris. I don't know if you are familiar. We created a little company uh, called Dread XP that we make horror games. Are you familiar? I have played, I believe, a collection. I can't remember which one, and I uh, uh, very much enjoyed Spookware. Hey. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed Spookware. That's the one that we need more people to enjoy because we need to sell. Yeah, we we enjoy Spookware in the collection. So before we get any deeper into this, I should have put my phone on silent. Fuck it. Before we get too deep into this, Harris, for those of us and those out there that don't know who you are, because, you know, I know who Ted and Abby are pretty well. I think I know you okay from my research, but (laughs) I did not know of your existence before you made a tweet that was like, I'll come on your fucking podcast. And I was like, do it, do it then. Uh, So explain (laughs) to the folks out there. Kind of, you know, what what is a Harris Foster? So the the context of the tweet is why I'm scared to reveal any connections to employers or <laughs> other folks. Um, but yeah, I, I'm the community manager of uh, Finji. We uh, publish uh, various uh, indie games like Night in the Woods. We've got Tunic coming up next month. Tunic looks looks dope. Oh, I'm so so excited. It's years in the making, and we're all stoked. Um, So this is the image that Trevor sent to us for what Cotton Eye Joe would look like. He went monster route. Yeah, it's scary stories to tell in the dark from the movie. Yeah, yeah. That's him. Um, But yeah, I do all that. Um, I do some uh, uh, video game nonprofit work down here in Austin uh, for a group called uh, Fantastic Arcade. we're trying to bring back events when we can um, and all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, my, my tweet to get me on a podcast uh, was, I just put it out in the ether uh, that I want to talk about how uh, TikTok live videos are uh, centered around the concept of edging. Um, and, you know, edging mm. is, is by definition a, a sexual concept, I would say. But the edging that TikTok uh, presents uh, is not necessarily ed- in a, a sexual manner, but it is still that same uh, feeling. Uh, uh, shall I go on? Of course. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about TikTok. Let's talk about TikTok live videos. Um, it. <laughs> TikTok is a, a, a social media service for children who to do dances on. You go on there, it's teens doing Correct. dances. Yes. They're doing lightly choreographed movements to popular songs. Um, now, th- TikTok's algorithm is strange because literally any interaction with a video 
will make it more popular. TikTok does not uh, take into account positive or negative uh, reaction. So your feed, regardless of intent, will always feature the most impressive videos and the worst videos as decided by the teens who are on the app. Um, so I get really popular videos of weirdos just sharing their selfies in weird places. I get like weird couples that shouldn't exist. I get this, that, the other, there's a lot of stuff. Um, but with the live videos, because you have to interact with the video in the moment rather than later, every live video that you like tune into is a constant feeling of something is about to happen, but it's not quite happening in an attempt to bring in more people to see that thing that is about to happen. And it never happens. Thus it is edging. Now I, okay. So this is, we're in a, we're in a little area called the yawn zone right now because Harris, I don't know if you knew this. Uh, I am the social media manager for dread XP, which means mm-hmm. that I have to maintain. Uh, I started and maintain the TikTok, the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter, but there is a guy on TikTok that I see every Friday night on TikTok Live, and he pay- and he plays Beyblades. Have you seen that guy? <laughs> no. Can you please share yeah, that with me? Yeah, absolutely. I over. fucking love Beyblade guy. He does like oh. live Friday night Beyblade where he like he explains Beyblade lore while he like oh, does yes. little matches against the Beyblades. But um, I used to love Beyblade. Yeah, that guy's that guy slaps. Like that's They're the best still content. Very popular. My five year old nephew wanted nothing but what? Beyblades for Christmas, no and I got way. him because uh, he doesn't know any better. I got him knockoff Taiwanese Beyblades that have like metal in them that like hold up way better than the plastic ones they sell. Yeah, you got to get the metal now, ones. Some Ted, of- will you give me Beyblades for Christmas, please? <laughs> yeah. I can do that. Some of I, mean, I thought you wanted a new camera, but I guess I'll get you Beyblades. Yeah, Beyblades <laughs> superior. Some of the convert into a Beyblade channel. All of our YouTube content will be Beyblades. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But now I'm 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 my memory is jogged from that initial impression of of Harris Foster because I was like, oh TikTok, yes, yes. Because I'm um, I'm a huge proponent of if you're marketing a game in the year of our Lord 2022, you need to have a TikTok. Like the engagement there, just by the numbers, yeah, by the numbers, it beats the shit out of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I can't preach that enough to any indie devs out there listening. Get you a TikTok because one thing that I, you oh, go ahead, Foster. Uh, well, I, yeah, without even trying, I have a thousand followers on TikTok, and that's not a lot, right? But like that came over like the course of like three videos doing okay they just like just yeah engagement just flows on tiktok not to get all businessy but no, yes, no, no. Is, yeah the, yeah the podcast is called real professional so we do have professional sure. conversations um our tiktok just off of a it started out with a few videos and now we're at the point to where we have two videos one of them has over two million views the other one has over a million uh we're coming up on ten thousand followers people like that short form content and it's not like uh, Ted and I have talked about this. Twitter can be a huge fucking bummer sometimes. You hop oh, yeah. on Twitter and you're like, oh, there's drama with this, drama with that in the game dev circles. You go to TikTok and it's like, I'm going to try to stop a bullet with an encyclopedia. <laughs> like, it's 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 dumb, like, in a cool way. It's dumb, fun, yeah. short content. You, you, you see extremely genuine people on TikTok. Like, 
uh, there's so many young content creators on there who are stoked to, you know, sell out and is a thing we would say back in the day, but like they love their sponsors and they love informing people about stuff. And yeah, there's like, you know, six buckets a TikTok video can fit in and people are making amazing stuff in each one of those buckets. Um, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful, weird place that is the most like gamified social media from a sense of like, how do we make this a popular video down to a science um, that I've ever seen? You know, you, you, you can say that you're good at tweets, but you might have a bad week or month. You can say you're good at YouTube videos, but like something can stop it. With TikTok, there is a like perfect science to making a video that people will like. Um, and it's a scary thing that it's that attainable, I guess. Uh, okay, so I'm going to give you a quick uh, test case here. Just one moment, let me open this up so I can get accurate numbers. Okay, I'm going to explain a TikTok to you, and I want you to tell me what you think engagement is like on this. This is a TikTok I posted two days ago. It is from our game, My Friendly Neighborhood. Are you familiar? I'm not. Uh, You are in an abandoned TV station, and the puppets are trying to murder you. Yeah, just like real life. Yeah. So whenever you get into the basement area, a little sock puppety guy pops out of a pipe and is like, oh, hey, you're in the basement. So I made a clip while I was playing the game. And whenever he pops out, I shot him and he goes, ah, and goes back in the pipe. It's six seconds long. Literally walk up and he goes, oh, dear. And I shoot him. He goes back in the pipe. What do you what do you think engagement's like there? Is he little and cute? Uh, Yes, yes. Ricky the sock is a very cute little sock puppet. Does is there a good like? camera zoom on him getting shot and then zoom back out um did you edit the video at all i did not edit the video at all other than taking okay. it from my gameplay as I, I walk up okay and i just shoot him with the uh the very fun gun in the game and that's it i mean short sweet violence to a cute thing um the people who like cute will like cute people who like violence will like violence i say that that's doing pretty well yeah in two days it has racked up three hundred thirty-two thousand views Amazing. And also, Amazing. And also a small child with the best comedic timing I've ever seen. Um, so on TikTok, you can stitch videos together. Yes. And he stitched our video, and whenever the puppet goes to pop out of the pipe, he stuck his hand off screen like he was the one controlling the puppet. And then whenever he gets <laughs> shot, he just started screaming so loud it blew out his mic. Like, it hit the upper limits. It's hilarious. It's like a six-year-old, because that's, that's TikTok. I love it. I love it. Um, TikTok, and just like, you know, the... The, the gamification of videos is so weird that there's a strange phenomenon I've only ever seen on TikTok where you can attach hashtags to your videos, but TikTok will, as you do it, show you the popular hashtags. So people will just add the most random hashtags that are like brand deals for other products to their videos and the likes and views will skyrocket. So like you'll see a video of like a kid doing a yo-yo trick and at the bottom it'll be like, here's my McDonald's order hashtag. B- hashtag Big Mac with the sauce and it's like nothing to do with McDonald's but it's on that video anyway because the kid wants the views and it totally works I absolutely love that because I've noticed that a lot too uh, it'll be like a grainy video of a fist fight and at the bottom it's like Ruffles halftime like, <laughs> yeah. Fr- yeah. Frito-Lay Rickroll I, I think Frito-Lay Rickroll was the most recent one so, you know what's interesting though about TikTok, and I, I do want to I, I do want to say this is I think this is interesting, especially from us that are doing like marketing stuff, is that you know it's kind of like we're we're so used to marketing on 
Twitter at this point in, in general. Uh, I know that some people like market on Facebook, but the Facebook audience is different. That we've we've gotten so used to saying everything through like eight layers of Twitter filter. You know that we have to put it through, like where we have to work, like you know, think about oh, okay, where who's who's viewing these tweets? What's our audience on Twitter? What do people on Twitter expect? Whereas on TikTok, it's just it's it's pure chaos, right? Yeah. So like you don't have to worry about your messaging on TikTok if you're saying the right things or you know if you've left some some people out or something like that because you can just oh you just keep pumping out content, you know, you're just putting out shit over and over again. And the good stuff rises to the top and the bad stuff falls to the bottom. People on TikTok don't care about your, you know, your your messaging. They just care about is the thing I'm watching right now entertaining. And yeah, and they, and they don't even care about if it's like correct. In fact, right. like wrong information can sometimes get very good engagement. And like, you know, before the term fake news was co-opted by Donald Trump, like this was the thing that we were warning people about because outrage and being wrong on TikTok still drives the video up because people in the comments are saying, well, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know about that. And then those comments get bumped up to a new echelon where then people don't read the comments and say, wow, I didn't know that this thing must be true. And those comments eventually drown out the skepticism. And it's this like, you know, fake news is a real problem on TikTok and it's scary, but like, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing, right? Is that like oftentimes the Twitter discourse is, Oh, that place is a spreader of misinformation. So we need to like, not go there. But the reality of the situation is, is that like TikTok isn't going anywhere. Alternate social media platforms aren't going anywhere. And if you're not engaging with them, then you're not like your conversation is just not being had on that platform. Yeah. And you need to like kind of confront misinformation, like where it exists. And I mean, like, honestly, this is, I mean, we're, t- we're talking about gaming here, right? So like, we're not going to be trying to solve like COVID here in the pod, you know, we did it guys. Everyone called Dr. Fauci. We fixed it. (laughs) Um, But you know, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, a lot of times people won't like, I I knew a lot of people that didn't want to get a TikTok. A lot of devs like, will be like, I don't want to get TikTok. I don't know how to use it because they've just gotten comfortable with Twitter. You know, I remember when Twitter was like more scary to be on because it was new and kind of the wild west and, you know, kind of only the pioneers were there. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, now it's like, now, now it's so fucking sanitized. And so um, standardized in, in Twitter and like, you know, the different groups and the followings is like, you know, people have their followings that they've had for 10 years or five years or however long. And that's their thing. And there's it's harder to grow on Twitter now because the new audiences are going to other platforms. And so mm-hmm. many people are only advertising to the to the locked group that's still on Twitter. And it's like, well, there's all this other audience out there that you're missing. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Um, we at Finji at this time do not have a public TikTok. I'm like working on one behind the scenes because I want to make sure it is like the right thing. Like I don't want to get out there and start trying stuff um, before I'm like certain I can like hit beats on every video we post. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, it's what it what's really an impressive thing to do on TikTok is to have a voice in the same way that you can on a Twitter because, you know, you guys post the the raw videos and that does really well for you. But like there's comedy in that, right? You've got the comedy yeah. of shooting the sock puppet and there is a story and like a vibe that you are giving off. Um, finding that vibe for us is like the thing I'm hung up on right now. And like, you know, initially I wanted to uh, do more like real in-person videos with me. But like, and this is not a fish for compliments, but like I'm not hot enough. Um, like... And I don't work out of the office, so I can't like interact with people. It would just be me. And the only 
you know, crew I've seen do that successfully is that one Washington Post guy who I don't even think does it for the Washington Post anymore. Um, But yeah, it's that is my challenge right now with TikTok is I can do videos of our stuff and they will probably do well. But like I can't do it without injecting a voice or a vibe and I don't want to like, you know, TikTok is so based off of existing trends. You've got the sounds that you can incorporate. You've got like other video styles that people are doing and then you make your own. And like, I'm the kind of guy who like hates that. Like every tweet of mine, I try to be original. I don't try to like follow meme stuff. Um, but like with TikTok, like I have to do that because like, I, like I said earlier, there are rules and there are like, you know, buckets you have to fit into. And I don't want to be in a bucket. I want to like build my own bucket. And that's like the block I'm in right now. See, um, TikTok kind of whenever you sign up for a business account, like the the DreadXP Games is a business account. Um, that's just, it's just run by me. It's not really a business, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of forces you to innovate because whenever you are a business account, it is then considered commercial, which means you don't get to use those fun sounds and licensed music anymore. Oh. So, uh, but it's also the only way to get analytics and my life and my job is analytics whenever it comes to socials. (laughs) So if I couldn't look at demographics and things like that for TikToks, uh, it wouldn't be as worth it to me. So, and, and you say that, you know, you want to find a vibe and things like that and that's cool, but (laughs) I don't mean to be dismissive. That's, that's cool. What the fuck ever? No, um, (laughs) just kind of the shotgun approach works. You know, we have game clips they do well we have trailers from our upcoming projects we have uh streamer reactions tend to do well people are streaming your game you get their reaction clips we do the friday featured content creator it's a it's a bunch of community outreach stuff like that that fills up our tiktok and it's fairly easy content to procure and once you put it on there i mean you don't have to but i i dive into the comments and talk to people which you know Mm -hmm. i can't suggest uh, little enough. It's terrible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, my, the one thing that bothers me about TikTok, and it's such an unreasonable thing. So I post these videos of games, and on the videos of our games, I put at the top because you can put text on a TikTok video. I put the title of the game, and then at the bottom, I put wish list in bio because our a link to all of our games is in our bio. Sure. I have hundreds of comments that are just like, "What game is this?" Ah. Yep. And I don't know why yep. that's so annoying to me. Like, And I don't know how many are messing with me and how many are genuinely curious. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird how on some videos you look at it and there's something happening in the video that is never discussed in the comments, but it's mentioned in the bio or in the description of the video. Or inversely, there's something that happens in the video that's outrageous and, you know, or sorry, rather... There's something that happens. There's something said in the bio that's or the description that's outrageous. The video is normal and no one comments on it. There's always this weird like you're missing a key thing here in the comments. I see it all the time and it does not make sense to me. It's it's a it's a weird thing, but also kind of moving on from that and into something kind of related and something I wanted to touch on with you since you're community manager, your social media guy, uh, like me, and. You're just like me, Harris. We're one in the same, Harris. <laughs> we, are, we are one in the same. We're one in the we, same. We smile when we are asked the there's same questions every now. week, but we hate it. Whenever I look in the mirror, I see Harris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you may shake my hand. 
and feel that we are somehow comparable, but really, I am truly Harris Foster. Uh, (laughs) uh, There's been a lot of talk. Ted and I get onto this subject a lot whenever it comes to Twitter, and it's something that I wanted to talk about so that the listeners of the podcast can kind of know where we're coming from on this. Stop trying to market your game to game devs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. I mean, the the average game purchaser has no clue how a game is made. Uh, they all they care about is how a game is played. Um, and yeah, I I agree with that on a surface level. But I wonder if you have any like examples uh, you can mention because I, I agree. But like, I that is something that I've like established for myself so long ago that I need a refresher on how you how you see it. Well. The the thing is, on Twitter, a lot of game devs, and you see these small game dev collectives, and since you did with stuff with uh, Wigos Rancheros, uh, mm-hmm. the Austin Collective, if you're exclusively targeting your stuff towards other members of your collective and thinking, you know, based on their positive feedback that you have something going, I feel like that's that's a false equivalency. Just because people in your circle of game devs like what you're making does not mean they'll buy it. I'll let Ted kind of uh, expand on that, because he's got a very good, uh, you know, he runs a game company, so he's got a very good take on that. But my take is just essentially, if you're dealing with your circle only and not expanding out, you're you might feel like you're going to sell a lot of games because you have, you know, hundreds of people saying this looks great. But if they're game devs, they're probably not going to buy your game. Yeah, I mean, you you have to, like, always look at... Oh, Abby, did you want to go? I, I, didn't, I heard you chime in. Oh, I, I was just going to say, even, like, the gaming community in general, I was thinking about this just, like, last night. Like, the gaming, the indie horror gaming community in general, if you include, like, content creators people who just like to play the games and then also like other game developers and publishers and stuff like that community is still super small in the grand scheme of things. Like if (laughs) if you really want to do well, like you got to step outside of that too, you know, like reach bigger, bigger gaming uh, communities, but also like go outside of, of gaming communities. Like there's, there's a whole population of people that are interested in games, but don't necessarily play them or like, you know, just like to watch footage of them. You know, this it's the the world is so big and like in comparison, we're a pretty small community. Yeah. Yeah, I it, it this is something I've been able to like, you know, gauge at conventions and I incorporated it into our online stuff. Is I used this thing that I liked to call like the nod consistency, where you whenever anyone approaches your booth at a convention, you have no clue whether or not they are someone's mom who brought their teen who's just, you know, happy to be there or if they're a seasoned game developer. Um, and so what I tend to do is I start at the lowest, like, possible description of a game and I drip more complex, like, terminology as I talk to them. And, you know, they're nodding along the whole time. And the second I see that nod slow down, that's how I know I've, like, gotten too far in the weeds of game jargon. Um, and that's where I like plateau myself and, you know, rein back my comparisons to other games or rein back, you know, like I'm not going to use the word isometric uh, in this sentence. You know, I can tell that is not going to be a word because I don't want to have to explain that. And this person doesn't care to learn it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree. I start every explanation of a game whenever someone says like uh, we recently released Sucker for Love. 
if someone comes to me and I don't know, I don't know them from Adam, uh, and they say, what is, what is sucker for love? And it's easy. I just say it's the dark souls of dating games. <laughs> oh yeah. It's the, no, totally. it's the breath of the wild of dark souls likes. It's the crash bandicoot of Deadpool. I, I love that. Yes. That yes. The dark souls <laughs> of and breath of the wild like have become so ingrained in the discourse. No, totally. Totally. We, there's a, a, a strange, um, I think, I think that is a, a, a totally workable thing. We have a weird vibe at Finji, or at least like I've kind of implemented a weird vibe at Finji where I, on the other hand, like don't like to use comparisons at all. Like, you know, a lot of people um, take Tunic and they say, oh, look at this. It's, it's like Legend of Zelda. Um, but I, I would never say that because one, like, yeah, no, it totally looks like Legend of Zelda, right? Like little dude, green tunic, colorful world, bright colors. Yes. But if you go into tunic expecting a Legend of Zelda game, you're going to be disappointed. And to your point, it is more of a Souls game than a Zelda game. But if you want a Zelda game for Finji, play Chicory, a colorful tale. Um, and it's, it's this mentality that I picked up when I was in college, uh, at a professor who talked about Coke versus Pepsi. And she said, watch a Coke commercial and watch a Pepsi commercial. The Coke commercial will be about having a good time and enjoying a drink. And the Pepsi commercial will always be about comparing themselves to Coke. And that's why Coke is the leader is because they have the swagger to not need to ever compare themselves to a competitor. And Pepsi is always going to be second place because they're always like reminding you that Coke exists. Meanwhile, RC Cola is crying in the shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the uh, and the two uh, kings of root beer, uh, Mug and Barks, have never had an ad in their whole life, and they're doing great, and we respect that. Uh, actually, I, I learned recently, I, uh, Mug Root Beer was a sponsor for the Dana Carvey show in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> great. great. I don't know if you've ever seen that clip. I can send it to you after the podcast. It's from a, I would love a documentary called "Too Funny to Fail." about the Dana Carvey show and they, yeah, they, they have like this, they're showing Stephen Colbert and Dana Carvey and all these people, this ad for home improvement, the old, uh, Tim Allen show. And it's like this week on home improvement, uh, parents worst nightmare. And it's like a, you know, one of those sappy storylines about like our kid might be dying. And then immediately it's like followed by an all new diet mug root beer, Dana Carvey show. And it's the the juxtaposition <laughs> yeah, is just killer, and uh, mm. it's excellent. I'll send you that clip. But Thank you. like we were talking about, um, not marketing to game devs. One of the things that I have seen is you have a game that's you know moderately popular, and you start talking to the developer, and you go, oh, you could change this and this and this, you know, kind of broaden your scope here. You'd get more eyes on it, and they go, ah, my Discord doesn't like that. Mm. I, it's like I don't care what six people on your Discord think <laughs> about this. Like you. It, you kind of laser focus on praise at a certain point and stop listening to actual critical feedback because you're like, oh, my, my echo chamber says it's really good. I don't think my echo chamber would lead me astray, right? Yeah, yeah. I This is a tricky one as a community manager in particular because, you know, our whole job is uh, communicating and listening to fans and having that back and forth. Um, and oftentimes they do provide incredible critical feedback that is is good to progress the game we've had 
you know, several uh, things mentioned about pre-release games that we've got that have led to improvements in development. But there are some suggestions that you have to kind of take and consider, but maybe not implement because at the end of the day, like it's it's hard to tell what you want from the backseat um, of, of game development. Um, you know, uh, this this is, you know, on all aspects of, of game design development, uh, a fan can say that they, they want X, Y, or Z, and it's on you to try it. But like, you know, for this game to truly be your vision and, you know, your products, you, you try it, but you make the final call and you can't, you know, design by committee uh, with these fans. Um, yeah. See, it, it's, it's, it must be nice to have that happen. Now, in our community, we do have a bugs and feedback channel where people do, you know, discuss the games and things like that. But currently, almost all feedback on all social platforms about Sucker for Love is people bursting in, just cramering into the server and being like, make them naked. Just make them naked. <laughs> Are you familiar yeah. with Sucker for Love? Uh, n- no, but I understand that it's the uh, Dark Souls of Dating Sims. Yes, uh, so Sucker for Love <laughs> is a visual novel where you date eldritch horrors personified as ladies, anime ladies. Um, awesome. And there is nothing sexual. It's not, you know, it's not the next Sex with Hitler. Which is such a weird game. Yeah, there you go. There's a link. Uh, that's oh, I believe I saw Giant Bomb play a little bit of this. Yes, they did play it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sucker for Love is a great game. There's nothing sexual in it. You know, it, it kind of toes that line. Nothing erotic. You're trying to get smooches from these girls. It's a fun tongue-in-cheek exploration of visual novels. But a lot of community feedback is like, make make them naked. Uh, <laughs> so let, let me ask you this. Is there, wh- what, it, I mean, like, what if you did though? Like, I, 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 that would sell more copies, right? If we progress romance to sex, I mean, I keep saying that pretty good. Ted, yeah? Ted, give me the spiel about why we can't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't make porn. Oh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, we have a, well, a number of other games in our library, and uh, we don't make porn. So, not to legislate, but like, what's the difference between porn and erotique? Am I right, y'all? Well, I think that you know, if I'm speaking realistically here, we're making something closer to Monster Masume, mm-hmm. which is already like a pretty porny anime, but there's no actual like it never crosses that line, and instead, because basically, what I'll say is that we we benefit more narratively from walking in that line than we do from crossing it. And yeah. so, yes, if, if I am I am a fan of an anime called uh, Ninja Scroll, which was uh, a number of what they would call like pink cartoons, which are animes that had adult they had like sex in them, but they weren't <laughs> pornographic. They were they were almost they were this punk age in the 80s and early 90s where things were still trying to figure out what they were and what that line of obscenity was. And I'm a big fan of that. I think that you can use it very artistically. However, I think that the benefit that we gain in the package of not crossing that line outweighs the benefit, the artistic benefit of crossing it. And for me, it's more about the artistic expression than it is about any kind of legislation of morality. Yeah. Um, and that's where that's where I stand on it. So Sure. And, and, you know, like leaving that to the imagination or to the fans allows them to create that themselves. And it like, you know, you are handing them the opportunity to have these thoughts and to create these things. You know, we, 
we we have a lot of games um with characters that people fall in love with and we often see um fan art that maybe pushes it to a place that like the game does not intend. yeah does not go yeah yeah um but like you know for every time you see that that is a projection of the artist onto a character they enjoy and you know at that point it is out of your hands um and you know you can you know you should do your due diligence in like not allowing that in your official spaces by your own code of conduct but it will these things will always happen the most you know innocent thing in the world can and will be sexualized um and you just kind of have to like be okay with that as a creator of anything. I mean, you can't really legislate how people interact with your product, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not like, I don't think that Scott Cawthon, when he first made five nights at Frederick's like knew <laughs> like where the fandom would go with the lore. And he kind of just rolled with it, you know, like you kind of have to be okay rolling with your fandom in a certain way. Totally. Totally. We, uh, one of our games, chicory, uh, features, uh, a character named Chicory and uh, uh, a small dog um, that's, a, a, you know, an anthropomorphic dog uh, named after your favorite food. So, you know, the most common name for this character is pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, throughout the game, they have a very uh, platonic, you know, non-romantic relationship uh, that is more of a mentor-mentee kind of dynamic. Um, but after the game shipped and the fans, you know, got a hold of it, uh, we saw a lot of fan art of uh, the two together romantically uh, and this and that and, you know, all, you know, relatively innocent stuff. But it was never a relationship between the two of them that, like, you know, I certainly would not have expected. Uh, but, you know, as you said, you got to, like, kind of roll with it and, you know, acknowledge and appreciate it at times. So we did a Discord event um, where using emotes and secret channels and stuff, you would go from house to house and trick or treat uh, different characters houses of all of our games. Um, and for chicory and pizza, we put them in the same house and holding hands when they open the door. Um, and just to like give people just a little push and nod, yeah, that, you know, all the work they put in is, is, is worth something. That's, I think one of the most rewarding parts of working with the community is seeing the things created after the fact. Like, we can publish games, we can support games, we can market games, but after launch, seeing what people take and do with those characters is one of the best things. Like, the amount of... Yeah, it's a real treat. Yeah, like, the the Sucker for Love cosplays I'm seeing on Twitter are amazing, Mm -hmm. like... Yeah, the, it's it's really cool. That one that one person did tentacles on their face, like that's so good. And Oh, that's awesome. And it's it's just nice to see because we were talking earlier about Twitter, it can be just a real downer. And I think our goal and should be the goal of all community managers and social media managers and, and community facing things, we we have to bring fun back. We have to stop stigmatizing yeah. the idea of fun. Uh, everything these days is doom scroll, doom posting, doomer memes. And it's like, I don't care to interact. You know, every other week there's someone putting out a statement about something that they feel is important. You know, itch recently was like, we're not going to do an NFTs. It's like, cool. No one asked. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) like, well, that's one of those things that it's like, it's specifically tailored towards a market on like the Twitter space. It, it, it's stoking, you know, you got that anger over NFTs and most of us are just like, 
yeah, that's pretty trash. Uh, I don't want to interact with that. And then you can get those clicks by being like, oh, those NFTs are pretty bad, right? Well, we're not doing them. And I mean, that is that is a valid way to go about it. But also... And the reality oh, of the situation, too, about NFTs is that, like, if you go to the average consumer, right? Like, I'm not talking about people on Twitter. I'm talking about your average person that's buying games or interacting, you know, in Discord or whatever. I mean, sorry, your average Discord user is not your average consumer. Your average Discord user is someone who's probably more engaged than your average consumer. Most people don't know what the fucking NFT is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you go out into the world, like, if I was to go to a Subway sandwich shop right now, which I'm probably going to do after this because I'm hungry, I'd be <laughs> like, I, I've decided that we're not going to make NFTs. They'd be like, what is that? <laughs> you know? Like, and so, I mean, the, the actual NFT marketplace is like, how many people own an NFT in the world? It's like, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with, with uh, the, the hobby horse of, you know, the, the 0.001% against the 0.01%. And we're all just slinging mud at each other over this fucking debate that ultimately only serves to make some person who's already bought in yeah. rich. And it's just so silly. Yeah, it's it's one of those things you can... There's two ways of going about it, I've found. You can generate your attention and your clicks from negativity. It's a, it's a good way to do it. Marketers will tell you, you know, outrage gets you views, gets you clicks. That's fine. But what if, or not even what if, the way that I do it and the way that we do it at Dread XP, I don't want to generate... Not rage clicks. Yeah, I don't want rage clicks. I want to yeah. provide this big, dumb energy to everything yeah. we do because I'm a big dumb idiot and I love that kind of stuff. Uh, Ted always calls it like big stupid country energy because oh yeah, country because because Oklahoma, country you know, and it, it's sure, true though sure. because I don't you know I'm not a Wendy's, I'm not a brand account. You know, if you go to DreadXP, you're not interacting with a brand because that's another weird Twitter thing. It's like oh, replying to the brand. Whenever I want people to know, whenever they come to Dread XP, they're not dealing with a brand; they're dealing with me. Like, and I'm going to show you some dumb shit, and we're going to make some jokes, and you can come to our Discord, and we have movie nights, and it's the idea of community as an extension of what we already do. The community isn't a function of Dread XP; it is an offshoot. It is a valid part of the company. It's not an afterthought. We we love our fans, and we love the people that come and interact with us. You can pop on our Discord, and you can message Ted directly. He's the fucking head of the company, and you can just ask him dumb things, and he will answer you, or he'll send, like, a GIF. Oh, yeah, I will. I just think, <laughs> I just think we need to stop stigmatizing fun in these online spaces, and no, yeah. as, like, big parts of our community... That's really our job, I think. See, this is what I mean about, like, I think that people have gotten, like, Twitter has evolved into a certain space that it is. And TikTok is the natural pushback against that space, which is that TikTok is is chaos. And the usual names are not yet on it. Like, the people that are big in the industry, the people that are networking, you know, so it's kind of the space that the, the, the true new young bloods can kind of really kind of come into. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I, I have a unique perspective on this because, like, two years ago, I wasn't in the industry. I was a journalist, right? And, like, Dread XP has only started in the last two years. Like, you know, we're not even, we're not even two years out from the release of our very first game, you know? And in the, in the, in the scheme of game studio lifespans, 
that's barely fucking anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and you're, you've already got, you know, several talked about titles, uh, you know, only two years in. So, like... But th- that's it, the thing, right? Is yeah, that, like, you if you were to ask us what people were talking about more before the hand, it was spookware. If you yeah. want to know which is sold more, it's Sucker for Love by a considerable margin. Um, like, I'm talking about, you know, I don't want to go into specific numbers here, but Sucker for Love is is our most successful game by a long shot right now. And it's it's doing really well. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that we we had changed marketing strategies for the release of Sucker for Love, and we decided to try to, try to market more towards um, the consumer than we did towards our already existing user base, mm-hmm. um, which was a lot of game devs and a lot of people that were already really involved in this kind of indie space. And we've seen a lot of other games come out from other really, really, really talented indie horror devs that are just not doing well right now. I'm talking about sub a thousand sales, you know, like that's stuck in like the, the pre 20 review phase. And it's like all of these games, I think that they could do so much better if they just marketed towards consumers rather than devs. But the problem is, is that right now on, on, on the major social media platforms, you know, Twitter and Facebook is even worse, but that's for completely different reasons. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, Twitter is is so inundated with the way that you're supposed to speak about things that really only people like, I don't know, Dave Oshry, who runs New Blood, can break through the noise right. and effectively market on Twitter. Everyone else, it's just like, and the thing is, is that it's really, really, really hard to gauge your audience engagement on Twitter because they're, you're dealing with this extra layer, too, where they're... Liking something on Twitter doesn't just mean that I liked it on Twitter, right? It means that the people that follow me can see that I liked it. Sure. So a lot of times there are certain games that I've seen come out that, you know, I I actually think that like, you know, um, a lot of the modern indie games fall into this category where their, their, their graphics are intentionally tweet. And we are living Mm -hmm. in a time right now. um, Although I do believe that this trend is on the decline. Wholesome games were like a really big deal for like three or four years. Um, you know, there's like the wholesome games channel. There's all these games that are, yeah. you know, the, the wholesome games, wholesome games, wholesome games, wholesome games are not selling as well as they used to, um, like in general, like just the, across the market. And, um, but then the thing is, is that the question is whether or not these companies are going to shift their message towards something new, or if they're going to try to keep their image. And unfortunately with the wholesome games thing, it's not just like a game. It's also a personality for your company. And unfortunately, we're going to be running into this point now where like a lot of companies are going to be like, well, do I now drop the wholesome bit and try to go to edgy to like maintain this new audience? And, you know, you're already seeing that where basically the presence that a lot of companies have on TikTok is almost entirely different than the presence that they have on Twitter in terms of their messaging and stuff. And it's because they're, they're kind of reaching this point where they're like, well, there's the things I have to say on Twitter to be considered a good Twitter user, quote, quote. And then there's the things I can say on TikTok that are going to sell my game. And it's it's a very confusing space for someone that's new. I mean, and I'm saying this as someone who was new and still is new in, in the sense that, like, you, you go out on Twitter and you can put out this game and you can get a ton of likes from all these devs saying, doesn't that look really cool? And from a bunch of people who are interested in other people seeing that they thought it was cool because it's, you know, either morally right or it has that certain kind of graphics that you know is going to or you feel is going to engage users because essentially, you know, a lot of the people on, on, on the, on those platforms are content creators, you know, and, and themselves devs and streamers, you know, I'm talking about content mm-hmm. kind of generally here. And, you know, for them, 
it is financially important for people that are interested in these trends to jump onto their their channel or their game or whatever. So they have a financial incentive. And so it's really hard to tell which of your friends are actually fans and which are engaging out of the speculation that it will gain them more followers. And the thing is, is that like who you really need to be paying attention to are the people on Steam wish listing your game. What you really need to be paying attention to is how many people on TikTok are willing to make fucking compilation videos. How much fan art are you getting? You know, things like that. Like that is the real metric that you can go with. And I think that Finji is a unique company because um, you know, Finji has a very, uh, I don't want to say twee, but they have a very like colorful art style. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. And, you know, night in the woods, obvious breakout hit. Um, Chicory did, did pretty well, uh, Overland, um, you know, very, it, it was like, it kind of seemed like one of these games where the art style and the audience expectations weren't really just like matching up on, uh, you know, what the game was there to offer. And I think that that was, that's kind of, you know, I think that with Tunic, it definitely seems like you guys are leaning more into the, the gameplay as the, the heavy focus, I mean, there's, there's like a lot of graphical, I mean, obviously it's a Finchy game, so there's graphically, it looks fantastic, you know, like there's, there's no doubt that it's, you know, got the pedigree there, but it seems that with Tunic, it's, it's, it's a lot more of the focus on, uh, the mechanic, the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, that kind of feel of playing a Zelda game, which a lot of that is translated through these big bosses shooting lasers larger than your body while you have to dodge, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, I, I think that it's, 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 it's very effective because the messaging of that is, Hey gamers, this is what it's like to play the game as opposed to some of the more, uh, uh, a dev focused thing, which is look at how great this art style is. Yeah. And there's a big, the, the, the big dev bullet point for Tunic for the longest time up until, you know, about a year ago was this is all one guy. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that devs latched onto with Tunic was, oh my god, this is a one man project, right? Yeah, and uh, I mean, Sucker for Love was a one man project. Actually, almost all, all most of our projects are one man projects. So I know what it's like to work on those, but like ultimately, like you know, the messaging of it's one guy making this is 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 an effective message for other game devs. But like mm-hmm. your average consumer doesn't care. Like right. we for the collections when we put out a collection, no one gives a fuck that the first collection we donated. Uh, what was it like 20% of it to doctors without borders? Like no, no one really gives a fuck. It's something people tweet about, but no one really gives a fuck. And you know, no one really cares that all the games were made in 10 days by solo devs. You know, they might say, Oh wow, isn't it called this? But ultimately like the reviews don't care. They're just, they just want to have fun. Like the gamers don't know about your development process. They don't know about you. And frankly, like it's a lot to expect that they would. And like most, most people don't know about the studio behind it, which is why a lot of times these debates about like, who is the studio and all that kind of stuff is more like, okay, what end product is coming out of it? You know, how, what does that represent? And I think that's important, but you know, it's like one of those things where it's like the average consumer, the reason you're not going to hear this from the average consumer, these kinds of complaints is because the average consumer just doesn't even know you exist at all. You know? Right. And yeah, so, so I mean, tunics, you know, tunic social media presence and well, I'll back it up a little bit. I think to, to sum up everything you just said is something I agree with is authenticity is key, right? being genuine and being real with people, uh, no matter what their way of getting that authenticity is, uh, that's so important and so hard to measure, but it's, it's like the key to all of this. Um, and with tunic, you know, I, when I took over that social media, uh, channel, I looked at the game and I thought, what is the thing that people find intriguing about this? And it's the, you know, sharp combat, 
the beautiful world and the uh, secretive complex language that the game is hidden behind. Um, so starting when I took over, it was this account will only speak in emoji. This account will always have an image attached and this account will never reply directly to uh, a question. We will take that from the company account, which is allowed to speak English um, just to keep up this cryptic facade of Tunic's existence. And I think like, yeah, I think that's one of my, you know, humbly big achievements is that I was able to do that, which then had a knock on effect that I didn't expect of, oh, suddenly this is way more interesting on an international level because I'm no longer speaking one language. I'm speaking a language of pictures. And so you'll see pockets of Japan light up whenever a tweet goes up and, you know, Spain and this and that and all these different regions because suddenly I'm communicating in a universal language. Talk, that's actually kind of uh, he's speaking the language of the gods. Um, <laughs> so as we've, ooh, Harris, you hold a special honor. You managed to go past mm-hmm. my hour without me uh, noticing. Yes. Yeah, usually, usually right it, it, at it's because Jan's likes listening. Jan's, which is you, Harris. <laughs> yeah, whenever I look in the mirror, I see only Foster. Let's do a whole nother hour. Let's go. Come on. Nah, we've reached the end of our hour. <laughs> past it, Harris Foster has has forced us into this corner. But Harris, <laughs> Harris Fosty, where can we find Have you we? on the internet at large? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Harris Foster, H-A-R-R-I-S-F-O-S-T-E-R. Um, we talked about TikTok, so I'm there under Hair Fost, H-A-R-F-O-S-T. Um, and yeah, just, you know, check out Finji stuff, Finji Co. on literally every platform. Um, we got Tunic coming up on March 16th. I'm so stoked. That's PC, Mac, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X Pipe S. Make sure you type it like that. Um, Yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah, I will say that uh, if you are uh, a big fan of our stuff uh, and you wanted to check out something from Finji that you might be interested in, I would definitely recommend Overland. It's a post-apocalyptic kind of survival game with a really unique aesthetic to it. Um, And if you ever see a Finji Co. booth at... uh, any kind of convention like PAX or something like that, they always got something really cool to show off and their games are always like very, very immediately graspable and like very fun to play. So definitely great to check out if you ever at any convention. Mm -hmm. All right, Harris, Harris five nights at Freddy's. Um, (laughs) We should work out some kind of, some kind of code exchange. I'll trade you our catalog for your catalog. Can do. Yeah. Uh, Abby, where can we find you on the internet at large? I am on Twitter at ScrunchoG. I'm also on Instagram at scrunchow.speakeasy, and I'm also on TikTok now at Speakeasy. I will throw out there that Abby's recently released album, uh, Prohibition Hippie, is an excellent pairing with The Weeknd's new album, Dawn FM. It is some dream pop, bedroom pop. It's so mild, so chill, excellent work music. You should check it out. That's Prohibition Hippie. Uh, Find it where CDs are sold. Ted, where can we find you on the internet at large? I'm at Dread Henschke. I barely tweet, but sometimes I do. You had an excellent banger of a tweet uh, about how Grizzly Man was the first reaction video. Like the yeah, Grizzly Man featured the very first reaction. Yeah, at the end there. Warner Herzog listening to the tape. (laughs) Um, I I have been Jans Holstrom. I'm also Harris Foster. I'm Legion. This this is really messing me up, y'all. I got 
We are Venom. You you can find me on Twitter at DreadXP underscore or on my personal account where I tweet memes and complain about uh, Dying Light 2 at Horror Played. Uh, you can find DreadXP on Instagram, DreadXP Games, TikTok, DreadXP Games, uh, Facebook, OnlyFans, um, Bumble. What is Bumble? <laughs> no, you can... Grinder. Grinder. You can find us on Grinder. Uh, the sandwich app. That's what Ted told me anyway. He said, you got to put Grinder on your phone because it's a good sandwich app for when you're in California. Oh, and I was no. like, oh, sick. I love a good Grinder. Um, Harris Foster. Play us out. Yeah, I did a cat now, Joe. I've been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, cat now, Joe?